You're listening to episode number 32 of the Divorce Resource Guide podcast. Let's get on the couch for a little bit and talk with therapist Elizabeth Cohen about how to heal from the trauma of divorce. Welcome to the Divorce Resource Guy podcast with Jason Lavoie, a.k.a. the Divorce Resource Guy, a former divorce attorney turned divorce coach, talking about all things divorce, including the good, bad, and the ugly from an attorney's point of view. Remember, you're not alone. And now, your host, Jason Lavoie. Welcome, everybody, to this episode. Today's guest is Dr. Elizabeth Cohen. Dr. Cohen is a licensed clinical psychologist who received her PhD from Boston University. As part of her graduate training, she treated clients at the world-renowned Center for Anxiety and Related Disorders in Boston. Dr. Cohen was the recipient of the prestigious American Psychological Foundation Research Award, and after completing her postdoctorate training at Bellevue Hospital Center and New York University, she was asked to become the director of the CPT program at Bellevue's outpatient psychiatry clinic. Dr. Cohen is the director of Dr. Elizabeth Cohen and Associates, a group practice providing comprehensive, holistic, cognitive, behavioral, therapeutic services in New York City. And Dr. Cohen has an online series called Afterglow, the light at the other side of divorce that will be open for registration in November. Dr. Cohen has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, NBC News, Women's Health, Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and Good Housekeeping. It's my pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Cohen. Thank you so much for being on my show. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here, Jason. Thanks. So for people who are not familiar with you, um, I know you're a clinical psychologist, but give everybody uh, an idea about your background, your experience, if you have any, with divorce and kind of how you got here to where you are today. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Thank you. Um, So as you said, I am a clinical psychologist. So I got my PhD at Boston University, where I was working at the Center for Anxiety and Related Disorders. And there I was taught state-of-the-art, empirically validated treatments to treat all a host of anxiety and mood disorders. So I have training in working with a, a whole array of different struggles that people might have. So that is what my private practice has been focused on for the last 15 years. And that's what I like to say was was what was happening to me professionally. Personally, while I was building my practice, I myself was going through a divorce. I was going through a really difficult divorce with two very young children. When I kicked my ex-husband out, my daughter was six months old and my son was two and a half. So very quickly, I went from having another adult in the house, even though that adult wasn't necessarily acting much like an adult, um, to being just myself. And at that time, I was building my practice, working with other people. I really had to figure out a way to make it through this difficult time and see it actually as an opportunity to grow rather than to feel like it's the ending of something. Yeah, wow. So your divorce... uh, Mm -hmm. Was it on the scale? Was it amicable, contested? Where would you where would you rate it? Yeah, my ex-husband was really incapacitated because of his some of his own mental health issues. So he was really unable actually to even contest. So once I kicked him out, he was really absent from the picture for about two and a half years. So in some ways it was a divorce of neglect more than anything. Um and people, including my lawyer, thought this was good because I was able to get full custody. I was able to, 
you know, make all the demands that I could in court because he was really not showing up physically or emotionally. But for me, it left a lot on my shoulders. Yeah, I, I can imagine. But the, the divorce itself was just kind of went through the court system, I guess, for lack of a better word, smoothly because it wasn't really contested. Exactly. It went smoothly. And it was really odd because the feeling as a mother of having two young kids and a, an ex-partner who was just not fighting for them, was just doing nothing, was leading to a lot of anger and frustration. Um, so on the one hand, I didn't have the court battles that a lot of people had, but I had a lot of devastation and a lot of pain that this person was really just absent. Wow. All right. So you have a lot of experience, which I'm sure helps you in your practice uh, and with your clients who are, who are going through similar issues. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I have, actually, I would say I've worked with many clients in my practice who've gone through divorce and I, most of them have had a contested or a difficult time. And a huge part of my work has really been, as you said earlier about you do you, really helping them get back into focus on themselves. You know, I remember having to stop a client of mine who just went on and on and on about some really terrible things that their ex did, but I had to stop him and say, tell me right now a little bit more about you. And actually I got that strategy. This is a funny story. When I first went to therapy after my divorce, I saw someone um, who I was trying out for therapy and I was talking about my ex and I had so many stories to tell about my ex because there were so many terrible and dramatic stories and I was telling them and telling them. And this man, this therapist stopped me and said, stop, like, really <laughs> loud, which was not my vibe. Like that was, didn't work. It wasn't how I usually like it, but he said, stop, don't talk about him anymore. And I, in that moment, I was totally empty. I thought, I don't even know what else to talk about. So that was a moment where I realized I have to figure something out here because I can't, I can't spend my whole life taking his inventory. Um, this is my life and I have to figure out what I want it to look like. Especially when you can't change the past, right? I always tell people, you know, when they're kind of stuck and most of the time they feel like they're stuck in the past. Um, you can't change what is already done. You can only focus on what hasn't, what's in front of you. And that's a whole, I guess, mindset thing, you know, that you work on, uh, as a person that, you know, you have to kind of train yourself to every time you catch yourself harping on the past, you kind of train yourself to now take a moment and switch focus. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you're absolutely right, Jason, about that, about kind of choosing in every moment to figure out what you can do to control your life and your situation because you can't control the other person. Part of what I also include in my program is an a chapter about processing the grief and the loss. Yeah. I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. Because the past, you're absolutely right. Like you can't harp on the past. You can't harp on like that time that he told me that he was going to pick up the, you know, the kids and he didn't like that sucked. And that was really upsetting, but that has, is over now. But what I was talking about before, like I can, I can mourn the loss of a relationship that I really wanted to have. So I tell this story about how it, after nine years of my divorce, my ex-husband is now back in my kids' lives and we happen to all be somewhere at the same time. The four of us were swimming in a swimming pool and I suddenly felt this feeling that I recognized as sadness and I thought to myself, I know I don't want to be with this man, but I realized 
there was a time when I was hoping it would be the four of us. So I was basically sitting there with the intense loss of the dream I had had of the four of us together. So I was... Right. I was really feeling it in that moment. And it made me sad. And I let myself cry and I let myself feel it. And then I moved through it. But that's a piece of what I think we all need to do when we get divorced. And we don't have time because we've got so much else going on. And there's so much emotions, um, you know, tangled up in a, in a divorce situation. You know, nobody that I know of anyway, nobody gets married with the hope that you're going to get divorced. Right. So you have this dream um, when you meet somebody and you go through the whole courting process and dating and then you get engaged and you plan the wedding for probably at least a year. Right. And (laughs) um, I don't know how many months you even, you know, spent picking out your dress and stuff. I I, I remember my own wedding and and situation and and what my wife was doing and we were all doing. And so you're going into that and you're not thinking about the worst stuff that could happen in life, you're thinking about the best stuff or you're, you know, you know, you're hoping. And so, right. It's a dream. Yeah. And, and you hope, you hope it's a dream that comes true. And I guess statistically it's proven to be, uh, not so much the case. <laughs> right, exactly. But we need to do something about the fact that we had that dream. It's similar to when I work with people, let's say, who were hoping to have children and realize that they can't, or at some point they choose not to. You know, you just, even though it's a choice, sometimes if you're the one who chose to leave the marriage or you're the one who's choosing not to have kids, we still have to process the fact that at one time we wanted to. Yeah. It's a traumatic event, no matter how you slice it. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because I really think that's true. It's, it's a, it can be a shock trauma to a lot of people, depending on you know who initiated the divorce. And then it's an absolute trauma because uh, I, we define a trauma as shaking up the security and the safety that you have. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. So we need to process, I mean, for a lot of clients... And in the program, we do this too. We process the shock of it. Like, when did you realize this was going to happen? How did you feel before and after? Um, Really trying to kind of hone in on this. I don't, my experience of being divorced was that there were so many logistics that I had to take care of that emotions and feelings besides anger and frustration were just basically out the door. So part of what I want to try to do is help people bring in more of the emotions so they can move through it and they can actually get healed faster. I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I talk with um, a lot, some, you know, with some of my other guests um, who've come on the show and we talk about, you know, it's so easy to get kind of stuck in the day-to-day muck of, of a divorce if it's a nasty one and you feel kind of this, I guess, sense of despair and, you know, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel necessarily when, when you're stuck in it. But no matter how bad the divorce is, I say this, you know, at nauseum, like it's going to be over. One day it's going to be over. And then you're going to have your post-divorce life to think about. And what do you want that to be? And, and you know, do you have that vision? Can you articulate it, you know, picture it? And what, how are you going to set goals to get you there? So, you know, but when you're, when you're coming out of a, a bad relationship, you know, it doesn't even have to be a marriage, just a bad relationship. Mm-hmm. Before you move on, you kind of got to work through everything that went wrong, right? And Yeah, otherwise you're going to repeat it. I remember right. 
Right. I remember that the first person I dated after I thought was like so great and so wonderful and so cool. And my ex-husband had struggled with addiction and I was hanging out with this new guy. And at one night he said to me, Hey, you know, you're a psychologist. You can, can you prescribe me some Klonopin and some Xanax? (laughs) (laughs) First of all, I'm a psychologist, not a psychiatrist, but that's please. So I can't. But secondly, here I am again, right? So it's like, wherever you go, there you are. Here I was again in the same situation. So I realized I had to figure out what was drawing me to these same people. No, not blaming myself, but what did I need to heal in me so that I could really be in a different situation? Right. Because you found yourself and I'm glad this, I'm not glad this happened to you, but I'm glad it (laughs) happened to you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because you can talk about it now as a fresh, a professional, you, you want to prevent repeating the same mistakes, right? And so I guess one of those mistakes would be attracting the same type of person, you know, whether I work with a lot of people who, you know, feel that they're married to a narcissist yes. um, and, and they, they use, they label them that whether they clinically are or not, but it, it doesn't really matter. But so, you know, they, they don't want to attract that same narcissistic personality again and they find themselves doing that and then when you dig a little deeper you realize what have you what steps have you taken to not make those same mistakes again and and they they haven't worked through it either with a professional or given it enough time yeah. so talk about that and i guess that, that that's part of whole this processing loss yeah but it's like how, really how do you do that what do you what are you supposed to do Yeah, it's really, really tricky. I just want to say to all of your listeners, you know, who are with a narcissist or who've divorced a narcissist, man, I mean, I always tell people in clinical psychology graduate school, you know, mention narcissists and people are like, we don't know what to do. Like, we, you know, there is not a treatment, right? There, there has not yet become a treatment to fix a narcissist, which I think in some ways is the treatment for the people who are with the narcissist, realizing that you cannot change them. Yeah, the treatment is to leave. Exactly. The treatment is to step away and stop letting them, you know, suck the life out of you. Yeah. And so with a narcissistic, when you're in a narcissistic relationship, one of the things that is so important is to not shame yourself because especially the narcissist has been shaming you you know, so much, especially after the courting period and the courting period, they're so kind and loving and the best person they could ever be. And then comes the shame and the ridicule. And so we want to make sure that people who are with narcissists, you know, put the shame to the side and say like, you did the best you could. Anyone would have been attracted to this person. Like now what do we do? And so one of the modules in my program involves looking at relationships through something called a relationship excavator. So I have people really list very specifically on a handout all their relationships, who they've been with before, you know, how long it was before they started dating, how long was it, let's say, before they started having sex, how did it end, how did they feel, to really start looking at patterns of behavior on their part with relationships. Again, no shame, but just starting to really look at it. One of the common ones that comes up, at least for me with my clients, is very quick in, so really you know, not knowing them very long, jumping in, being swept off your feet. Right. So one of the interventions that I would suggest is, which all of my clients really hate, is, okay, how about you only text twice a week, right? You don't get into that rapid texting. Like you basically, <laughs> <are> you basically <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's New York for you. Literally. Yeah, everybody. We're she's in New York. So, <laughs> New York City, so. I can't edit that part out that I just can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Someone someone's agreeing with me, honking. Um, so the so the thing you want to look at is I know can I can I change this behavior? You know, as a cognitive behavioral therapist, we're always trying to change behavior. So can I try to text the person only twice a week? And let's see what happens. You know, do they Sometimes if it's a true narcissist and you're only texting them twice a week, you're going to lose them. They're not going to be, they're not going to feel filled up enough and lose them, which might be a good thing if that happened to have been a narcissist you were attracted to. Um, The other thing is an intervention we can look at is trying to go out with somebody who you're not incredibly drawn to because the assumption might be that the people you're incredibly drawn to might have this characteristic. So it's really trying to see your patterns and then try to do a small behavior to shift it a little bit and gather some evidence as to what happens. Would, um, tell me if this is kind of the same thing that we're talking about. I'm I'm not sure, but like, you know, you hear, um, you you know, like some women are attracted to that, the the bad boy type, right? Mm -hmm. So would that be like, if you find yourself, Definitely attracted to that type of person, and it hasn't worked out. Let's say uh, long term, yeah. And you want to try to break the mold, so go out with somebody who's not doesn't fit the bad boy personality that you normally would say eh at first. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. And then you have to start talking about why is it eh. So I have a module also where we talk about what is the what is the voice behind in your head saying he's too nice. He's too needy. These are some of the things I hear. He's too sappy. He's too romantic, right? So the question is, what what does it feel like for you when someone is needy, meaning they want to spend time with you? Like what gets triggered in you? So again, it's like taking the focus off the other person and figuring out what your feelings are in the moment. Right, because you would think, you know, just running with like the romantic part of it, you would think somebody who's interested in a uh, romantic relationship, right? Yeah. Or, you know, looking for marriage or a life partner, like romance would be something that they would want. Right. Um, so what, if that's a negative, right, that's, that's a big red flag right there. Like something. Yeah. But see, what's interesting is if you, if you talk to your, let's say if you talk to your friends, you might say you want romance, but actually when the rubber hits the road and you're with somebody and they're really present for you, that sometimes can be uncomfortable for you, especially if you've had experience in your childhood or in other times where you were neglected. Or well, that's not. it. You got you to gotta identify that exactly. and then work through that issue and then to get you to come around and accept the romance now, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of work. I mean, I, I, needless to say, it takes a lot of time. I mean, that's why I put together this program because I feel like when you're getting divorced, you're so busy. You don't have a lot of time. You, many people don't even have time to go into therapy, but you must do this work in order to heal. Otherwise, you're going to just keep repeating the patterns. And I know everybody's different um, and there's no set time. But from your experience um, as a psychologist, what, yeah. what is a good general if you can give one time frame, like when you say to somebody, listen, you got to put in the work and, 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 and really, you know, work on yourself before you can maximize your post-divorce life and meet that person that you deserve to meet. What yeah. are we talking about? We're we talking about two months, a year. Yeah. I mean, I think without kids, year and a half with kids, two and a half. All right. So, right. 
That could be scary to a lot of people. Yeah, because with kids, you still have the interactions that are ongoing, most likely. So that's a whole other level of having to manage not only a new life, but also co-parenting or if you have a dog together, you know, co-sharing. Right. Yeah, yeah. Dogs are children for a lot of people. I know. Yes, 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 for me they are too. And I mean, yes, I guess it can I guess it can sound daunting. I mean, maybe it shows my age that I don't think that's that long. But I mean, I think the other piece I would say to someone if they said, Oh my gosh, you know, it's two and a half years, I'd say, Well, how long were you married? And they would say, Ten years. Okay. So that's you know, compared to the ten years, I mean, we're gonna try to shift ten years of marinating in something in two years. That's what I say to people also when they say, oh, how can I ever change a behavior? And I think, think about it. You've been marinating in it for how, let's say you're 30, for 30 years. It's going to take us some time to undo. And that's the other thing I have in my program. I have um, fun sheets so people can actually do exercises to practice because the more you practice, the faster things can change. Fun, F-U-N? Yeah, fun sheets. I call them fun sheets instead of worksheets or homework. Because uh, that's yeah, that's what they should call homework for, uh, you know, elementary school kids. Like fun I sheets. know, fun sheets. That, I, I like that, fun sheets. <laughs> <laughs> so so what are the fun sheets again? Like what? Yeah, so so um, there's, also, there's fun sheets and then there's also homework. So one of the things with the fun sheet, it really goes along with the video. So, for example, it would have that relationship excavator or it'll have some examples. There's a module we talk about anger, you know, um, anger. There's something called righteous anger. I mean, we are allowed to feel rage and anger and, and fury about what has happened to us. Like that is not a problem. The neurons that fire for anger are the same neurons that fire for joy, excitement, happiness. They're not, they're not different. The neurons don't know the difference. So allowing ourselves to feel anger is really important. And so one of the worksheets or fun sheets that I have actually has you kind of draw out on this figure where you feel anger in your body. And it gives you some suggestions of music to listen to, to let the anger go and come out. And it gives you some ideas about how to process anger. Heavy one, metal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> heavy metal is a good one. Have, it's funny. People have different um, ones for anger, like, but heavy metal is a great one. And one of the strategies I suggest is imagine yourself in a movie. So imagine that you could really just rage out. It's not happening in real life. It's happening like on a screen. And it's an opportunity for the nervous system to process and feel the anger that it wants to experience. Because there's a fight-flight response, and you mentioned before about um, it being a trauma, and we do have a fight-flight or freeze response when we get divorced, and we can't flee, and often to be strategic, as you know as a lawyer, like fighting isn't great, Um, so we often freeze. And so this anger response gets kind of stuck in our body, so this is a way to allow it to fully be experienced in the body. Awesome. Another thing I always like talking about and getting uh, opinions on is so you say like a year, year and a half, two years, what, and it's different, right? But how do you know when you're ready? How do you know when you're, or done? You know, I don't know if you can ever be done. Right. But yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I don't think I'm ever done. I mean, I think that the, the pain and the intensity, you know, the sleepless nights, the, uh, obsessive worry, like that, that's going to lessen over time. Like that will lessen, especially if you do a program, especially if you look at yourself, you'll get more. One of the pieces of my program involves also getting the right support from the right people. Um, really making sure you're talking to the right people so that you feel supported and 
um, loved and cared for. Um, so the intensity will go down, but I think you'll learn more and more every year. I mean, I feel like I learn more and more. I, I, I gain more acceptance and love and patience for my ex um, as the time goes on. But you mean through your own personal therapy or? Yeah. Because, because yeah. and I always wondered, like yeah. a therapist in therapy, <laughs> do, you, do you have do you have a problem disconnecting or taking your professional therapy hat off when you're in your own therapy? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm like so grateful to be there, but I have an, ex- I mean, I can give you an example of this. Recently I was talking in my own therapy about, um, you know, really feeling like as a kid, I didn't have anyone who really saw my light and saw my ability and saw me as special. And I was speaking about my own childhood. So I was working on myself. And right in that moment, I thought, oh, you know who the first person was who ever did that? My ex. So in that moment, I had this deep compassion for him, not because I was working on him or thinking about him, but I realized that that was part of what attracted me to him. Right. And that was important because it's gotten me to this place where I now feel it. So he was the first person to do that. And actually, because of the healing I've done on myself, I actually reached out to him and texted him and said, I just want to let you know, I'm so grateful that you were the first person who ever made me feel that way. And he wrote me back and said, you know, I'm so grateful that, you know, we've been, we're together and our kids are amazing all because of you. Something I oh, had wow. to hear forever, right? I had wanted to hear that forever. And instead of asking him, don't you think our kids are great because of I did everything I've done, <laughs> it just came from my own personal work. Yeah. Wow. Hope that's a good example of that. No, no. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just always something that um, was interesting to me because, you know, or I picture like a therapist in therapy thinking, oh, you know, well, that was a bad question. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe some therapists do. I'm a very forgiving person. I mean, more, more likely, it's more likely for me actually to kind of use my mirror neurons and learn from the other person and mm-hmm. those strategies. So sometimes I'll notice that if I have therapy in the morning and then go to work, I'm like saying some of the same things that therapists will say. <laughs> that makes me. sense. Yeah. <laughs> Steal the material. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> share the material so share we're sharing right i mean and also you can't i mean it's interesting because being a therapist in therapy is kind of similar to being a therapist uh, being in therapy after divorce it's like you can't help other people unless you know your you know your um you know where your red flags are or where your blind spots are so absolutely yeah someone can walk into my office and be a huge trigger for me and i need to be able to work on that figure it out or refer them out yeah, I think everybody should be in therapy, regardless. Just <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. And so does my 12-year-old daughter who said to me the other day, someone asked me why I'm in therapy if something's wrong. You don't have to do anything wrong to be in right? therapy. <laughs> Somebody to talk to. <laughs> right. So good. That won't judge. Right. Um, so you've mentioned your program. Um, let's talk about that. It's um, called Afterglow. Yeah, it's called Afterglow, The Light at the Other Side of Divorce. It's a 14-video series that covers all the topics that have to do with how to have a great life after divorce. It covers how to create a life by design, not by default, how to regain pleasure and passion in your life. It handles co-parenting, what I talked about with processing grief, um, 
it does have a section on communicating with your ex. So it, it's kind of a comprehensive, available any time of the day or night um, resource, because I know how hard it is for people to get to therapy after divorce. And I know for me, if I could have clicked on a video to watch about co-parenting in the middle of the night, that would have saved me. Um, and then the other piece of it is a community. So it has a closed Facebook group where there'll be support from other people who are going through that. And one of the tiers of the program also offers laser-focused advice from me once a month in a group setting. Awesome. What was the catalyst for creating this? Well, I knew that I wanted to do something online. I love doing one-on-one therapy, but I really wanted to be able to reach more people. Yeah. Um, I just feel like with the internet now, we can reach so many people. I've I've met all these um, people who are divorced who live in really far away places and are interestingly, I don't know if you hear this a lot, Jason, but some of the women that I've interviewed for the program, they moved somewhere far away for their partner and then they're set, then they get divorced and, and they're kind of stuck there. Right. And they feel really isolated. So I wanted to reach out to those people who are in places maybe where there isn't therapy or they're feeling really isolated. And then I just knew, like, one day, this is, I just came to me, like, this was the work that I was meant to do. Like, that's what I was put here. That's why my divorce happened to me. Like, I'm here to help people see that life can be wonderful after divorce. It does not have to be terrible. And through work and through working on yourself, you can have an amazing, glorious life. And I have a better life than I could have ever imagined. That that's so great, um, and you and I are really similar in that respect. I uh, I do my divorce coaching to reach so many more people too than just doing one on one and or even representing people in divorces as an attorney. Mm. And and so I I like coaching people, and I feel like they're especially those people who don't have the resources to retain an attorney or keep one, you know, and but they need help. And yeah. so yeah, I, I I love the online aspect of everything. Yeah. And they're so, they're, they're so, I remember my divorce just being so desperate, you know, just really needing so much support. Like you just can't get enough support when you're getting divorced. You know, like you have my program, your program, I mean, all of it together, like the more, the better, I think. Well, I call it your team. And, um, I did, I did another podcast episode on this. I call it the, uh, trifecta of awesomeness. (laughs) Well, actually I didn't, I didn't coin that name. I shouldn't take credit for that. But, (laughs) but my, my guest had, called it a trifecta of awesomeness. And I talk about it in the sense of forming your divorce team. And you should yeah. have, in my opinion, three basic people on your team, if possible. You're a lawyer, a coach, and a therapist. Okay. And, and then, of course, you can add on to that. Yeah, I love that. And you know what's so cool, Jason? I'm sure you were this kind of lawyer, but my lawyer sometimes also acted like a coach or like a therapist. You know, she would say, look, you're a mama bear. You got to let go. You know, she, you know, like we all kind of weave in the different parts and that's, I mean, that's what life is, right? It's about, I think it's about finding people who really have your back and using them so you can grow and heal and then they'll use you so you can grow and heal. Right. But I think the key, and that's what separates them from friends and family support is objective, right? You want them to be objective. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up, Jason, because, you know, your friends aren't going to say to you, hey, you keep attracting these guys who blow you off or you keep attracting narcissists. You know, they're, they're not going to say that because they want to keep your friendship. Whereas a therapist, you know, we're and a coach and even a lawyer, you know, are more are trained in delicately sharing that information. <laughs> well, it's funny you say trained. <laughs> they, they should be. But 
<laughs> I can I can guarantee you in law school they do not teach you how to uh what's the word here? Well, they don't, they don't teach you like bedside manners. Let me just yeah, you know, that. that was always so, it's so amazing to me in so many professions, you know, you are working as a divorce attorney with the most vulnerable people. It reminds yeah. me of, I don't know if when your wife, if your wife chose to breastfeed, but I remember like the lactation consultants were so nasty and I, again, same thing. And they just weren't warm. And I thought, you are dealing with the like second most vulnerable people. First, right. Yeah. Have been divorced. Second, you just had a baby and you're so mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. No, no, actually it's so funny. You bring that up. I do remember yeah. that she, her saying like, you know, like, well, that yeah. wasn't very, uh, <laughs> exactly. Not warm at all. I, I don't understand it, but yeah, they, no, it's a, and you go to some doctors who don't have great bedside manner and you know, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had, I've had clients who go to lawyers, you know, who they walk in, they tell the story, like, oh, how, why were you with him for so long? Why? Like, you know, shaming them, as yeah. you know, so it's really good to have a solid, caring team. That's why I coach people on, in addition to my other coaching, I Ooh. coach people on how to choose the right attorney. <laughs> oh man, that's so valuable. And you know, isn't that interesting? I'm just thinking about something, Jason, because you were asking me about like, you know, picking, picking the right, picking up a, a partner. And I always say this actually about picking a, a therapist and I bet picking a lawyer too, you know, our old patterns, you know, show up everywhere. So like if we happened, you know, to be attracted to narcissists, we might be attracted to a kind of narcissistic lawyer. Let me tell you, right. Or therapist, right. I, I, I can't tell you how many complaints I get about people frustrated that their lawyers are they're frustrated with their lawyers on a number of levels, but because they don't understand or they're not doing anything about their narcissistic spouse because they have no clue about narcissism. And yep. now a, a lot of people are not right. Lawyers don't get trained per se on narcissism. Perhaps they should, mm. but perhaps your lawyer is a narcissist in itself, right? Yes. So, yeah. There are a lot of narcissist yes. lawyers out there. Of course. Yes, and narcissistic therapists. I mean, and I would say as a therapist, it is very likely, I say this a lot, like you are likely going to be attracted to someone who feels comfortable to you. And sometimes yeah. that's not a good comfort and you might keep staying in that relationship. So I, I always recommend people meet with two or three therapists before they decide. Meet yeah. It's the same thing. Worst lawyers, right? Like, Get a fuel. It's like go on a lot of dates. Right. Right. It's like, it's like somebody going, uh, you know, not to get too off topic here, but like somebody <laughs> who, who, you know, you've been pushing and encouraging to get into some therapy. They finally go for whatever reason, it's not a good match. And then like, see, I told you therapy doesn't work. Exactly. Well, you're right. Well, no, no, that therapist perhaps wasn't the best match for you. It has to be the right therapist, just like the right attorney, the right doctor, everything. Right. Yeah. Right. But you see, Jason, we're coming back to the same point, which is that unless you look inside yourself, you will never find the right thing because you won't understand what you're actually looking for. Right. Right. But you have to want, you have to at least have some, you ha I think you have to have, or somebody has to tell you that, you know, you have to understand that you need to Get, take that first step, like to to ask that question. Well, maybe it's me, right? Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, and and just like I think to, a lot of people. Are, yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people are probably surprised. Like in my program, when I say like this is about having the best life after divorce, and then a lot of it is about looking at yourself. You know, it's not about like getting a fancy car or having the best lawyer. You know, it's this kind of surprise of actually, it's looking at yourself. 
Right. And peace, having get, getting that inner peace. And, but you have to be able to be self-critical, like, because no matter how bad your husband or wife was, and maybe is, you know, it always takes two, right? Yeah. And you found yourself in this situation. I mean, that's yeah. right. That's what I said. You know, one day I was sitting with people and I was telling them all these horror stories about my ex. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I want to figure out how I got into this situation so it doesn't happen again. And it yeah. was so freeing because I, as you said, you can only change yourself. You can't. Insight. Yeah. No, insight. That's the word I was thinking of before. Insight. Yeah. You have to have enough insight to, to, to make that leap yeah. that, yeah, I want to figure it out. Yeah. And one thing I want to say, Jason, also, especially for people who've been with narcissists, I have so much empathy for the fact that their insight and their intuition has been shamed and cracked on for so long that you start thinking you don't have insight or you get gaslit and you just get confused about what your insight is. Yeah. They're beaten down. Right. Yeah. And so they get confused and you can't really know to trust it. And that's what our job is to say like, no, you're, you're important. You matter. It's almost like starting from scratch. You really got to kind of start from scratch with people like that. Yeah, And it's hard, right? It's just, it's hard and, and it's not easy, but it's necessary. Yeah. And I am in it with them. Like I'm here to go through the dirt, like with you, I'm here to go through the mud and the muck with you because I promise through the muck comes joy and gloriousness. But we got to go through the muck together. We can't, yeah. only way, the only way through is through, you know? Exactly. But why do it alone? Yeah. A lot of people can't do it alone. Right. And you shouldn't have to. And yeah. a lot of people, you know, even if you have friends who are divorced, they didn't have the same divorce as you. They have their own projection about, you know, they put their feelings onto you about their divorce. You know, you really, as you said before, so, so well, you really do need an impartial person. Yeah. I think that's so important. Yeah. So I think this program is great. Um, it really is. And we need more of this stuff out there. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you. I think your work is great too. We need more of all of it. Right. We need more of us. (laughs) (laughs) This is about us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where where can people find you? <laughs> People can find me at Dr. Eliz- Dr. Dr. Elizabeth Cohen.com. The program is Dr. Elizabeth Cohen.com backslash afterglobe. It's on my website. And I have blogs and I have a podcast where I interview actually other therapists. So you were talking a little bit before about uh, someone who it's like, oh, I didn't like that therapist. I interview therapists so that people can see the different kinds of therapists there are out there. So it's not such a mystery. Yeah. So people can check that out. Awesome. I'm going to put all that information in the show notes and, right. and just show notes on my website blog page, not the like iTunes or other wherever you're listening show notes. Go to the, my website show note web podcast page and all that information will be there. And um, when this airs, I know you're doing a launch now. This is we're, we're at the end of September, but yeah. you'll be doing a launch, you think, around November. Thanksgiving time well, or November? Before the holidays, because we know it's such a difficult time with families. Yeah this and divorce. And so, yes, I'm going to so be great. So the cart, the cart is open for two weeks at a time. So if you go to the afterglow website, you can jump on the wait list and then you'll be informed as soon as it opens again. Excellent. And, and people can get on that for the next launch um, and, and hopefully make some progress. So yes. thank you so much for coming on the show. This is really great. Oh, Jason. Thanks. It was really fun talking to you and I'm so glad you're doing the work you do. Yeah. We'll have to do it again sometime. A lot to talk about. Yes. Yes, for <laughs> sure. All right. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Cohen. And um, I thought it was great. And, and, you know, a professional therapist giving her take on 
divorce and the importance of healing from trauma, uh, doing it the right way, putting in the work, uh, so you can have the post-divorce life that you deserve. It's really what it all comes down to. Now, again, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, do so, uh, and you get all new episodes when they come out right now every other Tuesday. If you are looking for some help, uh, some coaching for your divorce, no matter what stage you are in, and you are interested in working with me personally, check out my divorce coaching packages through Divorce You through my website, jasonlavoy.com. Uh, I also uh, customize packages uh, depending on your needs. So if you just want to hop on a quick phone call, I'm happy to discuss that with you too. Um, whatever you like, I am here to serve you uh, and understand that you are not alone. In the meantime, all I'm going to ask you to do is be strong, act confident, and stay positive. I'm Jason Lavoy, a.k.a. The Divorce Resource Guy, and I'll be seeing you real soon.